A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast. I'm Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, and I am joined, as always, by the Sarah to my Abraham, Brandon. Sarah to your Abraham. Is that an Old Testament thing? Yeah, bro. We're going to be in the Old Testament for a while before we move into You're not going to hear Jesus and Peter for a couple more episodes. All right. That's good to know. That's good to know. I can do my my research and figure out what you're talking about. I did a little dive into Abraham and Sarah. I'm not, I, I'm no expert on the Old Testament, you know, Yeah. that wasn't necessarily my area of study ever. But when you do the kind of studying that I've done over the years and got the degrees that I've gotten, you got at least some working, you know, knowledge of the Old Testament, probably more than most people have. And, but my, my youngest son is a freshman at college and he's taking like an intro to religion course required distributive course at his school. and. Yeah, he actually had to like write a midterm essay on Abraham and Sarah. So he and I talked about that and I I I phoned up my buddy Rabbi Joseph who is uh, has been on the podcast before and so I dipped a little back into it and made me think, well, this is perfect. You're the Sarah to my Abraham. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm glad I'm glad you thought of me. Uh, well, oh well, yeah, of course. Your, uh, anytime, your son's got a big. He's got a big advantage in that class having you and all your uh, hookups. You would think so. I mean, <laughs> I did FaceTime with him and the rabbi, but I didn't check with my son first because I knew if I asked him, he'd be like, "No, Dad, that's so cringy. I'm not going to FaceTime with your rabbi." So I just called him up and then just like three-way called with the rabbi and didn't even check with Aiden. So he was kind of <laughs> trapped into it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, what what you got going on? Uh, come well, on. here's what I got going on, dude. I got a yeah. deer hunt and then I got an audiobook recording and you're going to be involved in one of those two. That's true. And it is not the deer hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're going to engineer my audiobook recording, which is so exciting. We're going to record that um, next week, the second week of November at Ron Share Productions. Many thanks to Scott and Aaron and the team at Ron Share for allowing us to use the sound booth. Yeah, it's going to be your first ever audiobook recording, uh, isn't it? I'm looking forward to it. Not only is it my first ever audiobook recording, it'll be my first time getting to enjoy your book from the author, from the words of the author's mouth them, themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you won't have to read it having yeah. listened to me uh, you know, mess it up. I I there are a few words in the Welsh language and I've got a distant distant relation in Wales and he's been um making recordings of how the Welsh is supposed to sound 
and sending them to me. So I'm going to try to master the Welsh. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm going to have to look through the manuscript and see if there are other words that are difficult to pronounce. But I'm a little nervous about the Welsh. So be prepared to just have a little patience with me as I <laughs> struggle my way through a foreign language. I'll try not to laugh too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then before that, a deer hunt, which I'm excited about. Um, yeah, hopefully shoot shoot one or two whitetail deer and butcher them and stock the freezer. That's the plan. Uh, and then more pheasant hunting. Just, yeah, a lot's going on. How about for you, man, other than uh, recording and engineering your first audio book? Uh, you know, I don't have too much going on, just uh, show after show after show. I did my uh, solo camping excursion last weekend, and that went pretty well. That was that was kind of nice and peaceful to get away for a little while. But you were, uh, it was also kind of stormy, wasn't it? Like, isn't that when that cold front moved through? Yeah, yeah. It, it rained and, you know, off and on pretty much the entire time, and it wasn't exactly warm, but it was kind of nice. It was, it was really, I pretty much had an entire lake to myself, so it was really cool. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Well, yeah. good for you. I mean, I yeah. that's so awesome that you make time to do that. Um, super important. Alone yeah. time in the wilderness. There's a lot. I mean, I think you'll resonate with some stuff in the book as a result of that. So I'm hoping so. Yeah. Well, the guest this week uh, is Aaron Haybison. He works for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. He coordinates a bunch of states in the upper Midwest. Uh, and... Before that, he worked at Red Wing Shoes. We talk a little bit about that. We talk a lot about his recent elk hunt out west. Um, but we, you know, we just weave through several different conversation uh, topics. He's just a great guy, and I've known him for a while now. We bump into each other at various uh, events. I think I don't think the first time I ever met him, but one of the first times I'm, I talked to him was he was working at the Red Wing booth at pheasant fest the very first year i went to pheasant fest when you and i recorded episode number two of the reverend hunter podcast several years ago um he has since moved on to bha which is one of my favorite conservation organizations and one that i enthusiastically support and and encourage everybody else to as well uh he lives down in red wing minnesota he grew up in north central minnesota he'll be deer hunting as well this week um yeah so just just an all-around fantastic guy and a great conversation so i'm glad to bring that to everybody out there i'm also thankful and grateful for the support of green belt beer and i want to encourage everybody out there to grab a camo sport pack special hunters edition of green belt you should uh look for that wherever you See, wherever you buy your beer, because um, you can also register to win um, a, a hunting excursion at a pretty exclusive lodge. I think, what's it called? Brown's Lodge or something? I can't enter, of course, because wah, wah, I'm like on the network. But anybody <laughs> out there who's listening, grab a pack of Grain Belt Hunter Pack and uh, sign up for that. You might win a kick-ass trip uh, a hunting trip so thanks to them for their support if you want to support the reverend hunter podcast get in touch with me through any of the socials dms email my website or whatever love to have more sponsors on the reverend hunter podcast and for all you listeners out there thanks for listening we appreciate all your support be sure to like rate review and share the reverend hunter podcast here's my conversation 
with Aaron Haybison. Hey, Aaron, it's funny. I, to, I want to say welcome back to the Reverend Hunter podcast, even though for listeners, this is the first time you've been on. But for you and me, we have a lot of experience doing this. We're going to be really good at it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, due to a you know computer fart, um, we lost a, a fun hour of audio conversation between the two of us in my living room. And uh, we'll recreate it even better now. Right. We just got the got the kinks out. Now we're just going to be a, a well-oiled machine. I had a bit of a problem before this interview. It's a problem you probably have uh, on a daily basis. I didn't know which of my backcountry hunters and anglers hats to wear for the interview. But, I mean, I've only got, I don't know, three or four. You've got myriad i'm sure uh, yeah there's a there's a whole closet dedicated to hats my wife has this rule for me every time i acquire a new hat i have to get rid of one uh, it's this what do you do with old door. hats dude i so you can't how do you part with a hat that you've taken hunting or whatever broken in <laughs> yeah. perfectly broken in and you know you gotta get the right amount of sweat and the right amount of heat to get it to to form fit yeah i get it it's a it struggles real you it's uh it's hard sometimes because you know you you sign up for 35 bucks for these conservation orgs like yours which we'll get to what yours is all about but um you get a hat in the mail a lot of times i mean there's some other swag you get once in a while but it, a lot of times it's that baseball cap which you know guys like you and me wear a lot of baseball caps and uh yeah. they don't some of them you put them on the first time you're like, oh damn, that is that fits my head perfectly. And others you're like, yeah, this one's not probably going to see the light of day. Yeah, I even in the same exact model of a hat, I can yeah. like we'll you know we'll order a, a sleeve of them and have them for an event, and I'll go through and try on like five or six to make sure I find the one that fits me the best. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, I'm taking that one. I'm buying that one directly myself. I just got this new one that, of course, listeners on the podcast can't hear, but you can see it's a, it's a little grouse one for Sportsman for the Boundary Waters. Oh, yeah. And um, I love the design of it and whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's a little, it's a little small. Maybe I, Luke, uh, Lucas must have a small head or something. <laughs> That's my problem. I've got a small head, and so I know what fits well, but I know it's like, oh, I could really have this be a little bit shallower. And so last year during turkey season, a friend who had the same problem was like, listen, man, here's the deal. You got to take that hat, either wear it in the shower or totally just like soak it for half an hour and then put it in the microwave for 15 seconds. He's like, be careful not to put it on a bald head because you get that little metal part to skull oh, yeah. and you've got that skull wound. He's like, but it will shrink up about perfect. And that's how you break in a hat. And so I've been doing that for the last year and a half and it's totally worked. It works. Yes. So wait, wait, wait. You soak it. You wait. You did you say you wear it in the shower? Uh, How do you get like it wet? So, soak it. Soak it in the sink. Yeah. Just soak it soak water. It you sink. don't have to wear it yep. while you're getting no. it wet. Okay. No. Get it wet, and then while it's wet, microwave it for like 15 seconds. You can't go okay. longer than that because that little metal top on the top will start sparking and being angry yeah. at you. But 15 seconds, and then put it immediately out of the microwave onto your head. Oh hot and it'll break in the hats that's like well, I said, i'm a that's bald been guy so that would be a little i'd have to like put a, a band-aid on the top of my yeah. <laughs> a little dicey a little dicey 
Well, while we're on the subject of apparel, uh, I want to brag up your former employer before we get to your current employer. I was speaking at a conference uh, a week ago in Springfield, Missouri, and a guy, and you know, I'm there like uh, pimping my book. I've got postcards with like a QR code so people can pre-order my book, and I gave a talk on the. So this guy walks up to me, and I think he's gonna like thank me for my talk that I gave or ask about my book or what people, you know, come up and, and have conversations like that. He walks up and all of a sudden I, he's like bends his head over right in front of me. It's very weird, odd behavior. And I'm like, and then he stands up, he goes, sorry, this is super awkward, but where did you get those boots? And they were okay. a pair of Irish setters. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I got these at the Red Wing Boots factory outlet sale, the warehouse sale that I often go to What around the first weekend of October. I yep. bought those boots. I think I've got four or five pairs of Irish setters. I, I hunted all last weekend in my elk trackers. Um, in fe I pheasant, that's what I pheasant hunt in. Uh, so, yeah. People are even like stopping me on the street to ask about my Red Wings. It's a it's a cult following for sure. Like we, uh, I was when I was working for Irish Setter, I was lucky enough to go on one of the partners hunts when we were sponsoring Pheasants Forever, and uh, I mean every pair of boots in that mudroom was the Wing Shooters, and it's yeah, I mean obviously they're they're partners with them, so uh, there's a reason to promote them. But I think people even that weren't sponsored by by irish that were like man this is the boot for for that i mean when you've got the, uh, an upland dog as your logo you're doing something yeah. right uh, yeah. and so but yeah no i mean i still it's funny that you say that last week i got a text message don't know the number don't know how they'd saved my number but it was somebody i had talked to when i was a customer service rep there and must have made the mistake of giving them my personal number and they texted me and said hey do you know if this style is going to come back into stock anytime soon? And I had to break the news to him that, well, I am no longer, and it's not like recent, right? Like I haven't yeah. worked for our setter for a couple of years and he's like recalling my number from somewhere in his, uh, in his Rolodex uh, and asking me, I was like, yeah, unfortunately I don't work there. However, I do know that it's discontinued because I still keep up with it. So <laughs> I still have that problem of like, you know, you meet a new people, a room of people and you're kind of looking around and I, unfortunately have this bad habit of then like immediately my eyes divert to like all right what boots are they wearing it's like <laughs> that's it's awesome. just that's awesome. part of the game that you got used to when you were in that in that field it's one of those minnesota companies that i think a lot of minnesotans are proud of you know um red yeah, wing pottery is another sure. one and there's just a, there's stuff like that duluth pack you know uh you know, it's just a quality company well and through that and, you know, relationship that I had had from working there, it's really cool uh, kind of segue that we actually partnered with them at BHA. And they said, you know, we want to do some more and like, pardon the pun, but like boots on the ground work. Yeah. And we want to put our boots on the people who are doing the work for conservation. And they came down to Missouri with me this summer and we did a big project, uh, wet prairie restoration project. So everything from uh, wood duck house builds. We put a ramp in for a, a disabled approved blind, um, did some owl perch installation and seed collection and woody plant removal from those native prairies. And yeah. I mean, it was awesome. Irish setter came along with us and, you know, watched I watched the video this morning, work. dude. Did you? 
Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool project. It was really cool that they wanted to be a part of it. So yeah, that's uh that's kind of the I was able to take that that information and relationship that I had built there and like plug it into the new one. So it was a, a cool that's way to bring cool. everybody together. Well, yeah, you've you've not you've worked recently for two organizations that I I love and the other one's BHA. So why don't you give I mean, I think any listener to my podcast has heard about BHA because I talk about it all the time and I'm you know, I, I happy to be a member, proud to be a member. Um, but, uh, why don't you give your elevator pitch on what BHA is all about? For sure. So, uh, I tell people backcountry hunters and anglers, we're the voice for America's public lands, waters, and wildlife. And what that means is there's a lot of organizations that are doing great work out there, but they're species specific elk, grouse, pheasants, turkeys, deer, uh, all have a group that is advocating for specifically that species. But in 2004, this group of folks around a campfire in Oregon got together and said, well, who's speaking up for the places? Because if the animals are there, uh, if we don't have a place that we can go and hunt them, what, you know, what does that, what does that mean for us? What opportunities do we have if we don't have places to go and hunt and fish? Uh, and so they started this advocacy group, this conservation organization called Backcountry Hunters and Anglers to be that voice for those public wild places. Yeah. And, and I, I think in some people's minds, maybe if they're into the hunting community, they think of BHA as like a, a Western organization where everybody's big game hunting and they're, you know, corner crossing has been one of the big uh, um, newsworthy items. But, right. but the Minnesota chapter of BHA is one of the strongest in the country. It is. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, this chapter, the Minnesota chapter has been around, and I guess I should say, uh, so I'm the chapter coordinator for uh, the upper Midwest. So I cover and support states in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri, uh, but originally was a state chapter leader in Minnesota. Um, so I've got a soft spot, I guess, for the Minnesota chapter, um, and I've kind of seen it go through its its different growth stages. And yeah, it's it's fun to see how BHA is kind of shifting and growing outside of the West, because in overseeing those states that I have, you see a lot of the projects that are important to folks that don't have 60% of the landmass being public or mountain ranges or giant national forests or wilderness areas you know, what's, what's important to them. It might be army Corps of engineer land. It might be a local WMA. Uh, it might be, uh, you know, lake cleanups, uh, river cleanups, some of the things that are more important. And we have a lot of public access, really good public access in Minnesota and, you know, other states, not so much. I, for, you know, Iowa, for example, has 2% of their land masses public. Illinois is 3% yeah. and Illinois has the, the, the problem with water access. So quick tangent uh, in, let's say in Minnesota, as long as my feet are wet, there can be a landowner that owns both sides of the river. And as long as my feet are wet, I can walk down that creek to get to that public uh, land that's, you know, blocked off to his land. If I'm in Wyoming, for example, I can float that river and the water itself is public. But as soon as I touch a shoreline or drop an anchor in that river, that landowner owns that shorebed so I'm, or that stream bed. So I'm trespassing. In Illinois, not only does the landowner own the shoreline and the stream bed, but owns the water that flows through it. So there's 87,000 miles of waterway in Illinois and 2,000 of them are legally accessible. Wow. 
And it's just kind of crazy to, I mean, like I said, we've got great access in Minnesota and Wisconsin, yeah. and it's just sort of a cautionary tale to, you know, bring attention to that. And for our Illinois chapter, that's something they're looking to try and change. Well, I bet. I mean, it would be fascinating to do a deep dive on why different states, I'm sure there are all sorts of political forces, you right. know, landowners and everything in, in various states. Um yeah, that's fascinating. I've heard about that out west, but I honestly did not know that was the case in like a midwestern state like Illinois. That's really surprising to me. Yeah, and I mean, some of it's agriculture based. Uh, I mean, those are your those are your big ag states, so that's kind of the big stakeholder there that may, in some cases, hold things up. Um, but other times, it's just due to the way that you know this is the way it's always been, and why would we change it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the feds don't match up with what the state. Uh, legislature says or state constitution says and trying to wade through all the muddy waters, pardon the pun, of uh, those politics of, well, this is what our state constitution says, but here's what the federal constitution says. And right. yeah, it can be messy. Um, We're going to circle back to BHA rendezvous. And I want to hear about your big West out West hunt with Eli. Uh, that was maybe a month ago now. Um, but Tell me about your growing up in central Minnesota. Were you into the outdoors and wildlife? Like how, how early did that become a passion for you? Yeah, uh, real early. So I grew up in east central Minnesota, um, about an hour and a half north of the Twin Cities and started deer hunting at 12 years old. I didn't really branch out from deer hunting until I was in college. And then I did a few Western hunts and then after college got really into turkey hunting and in the last five years have gotten kind of bitten by the uh, waterfowl bug, but really it was deer hunting. Um, but my grandpa was a, um, big like SEI member. And so he traveled to Africa five times in New Zealand and Alaska and all over the U S and Canada hunting different big games. So, uh, and he actually, uh, just here two weeks ago, uh, week and a half ago passed away. And so I was, uh, I was, I went down and we got to say some, say some final goodbyes to him, uh, on the night that he passed away. And so that was kind of some good closure, but, uh, you know, seeing, seeing his house and bringing back those memories, I actually, uh, was able to come home with his orange hunting hat. So that's going out with me next weekend for opener. There's Uh, one you're not going to throw away. No, for yeah, exactly. That's not a hat that I'm going to get rid of for the, uh, for, for the number of years that, you know, going to that hunting camp, starting at 12, you're, that's the, for us, that was like the becoming a man step, you know, you're learning how to take ethical shots and where, you know, how to read sign and read scrapes and rubs and, you know, uh, sit there and deal five card draw. Like those are all the things that, you know, really with the uncles and the grandpas and the dads and becoming part of that, yeah. that, uh, family group, that was a really huge step for us to kind of get into the outdoors. And with all the, you know, big game stuff and the stories that he would tell, uh, it really was an extra step for what got me even more into the hunting side of, of wildlife. But I mean, since I was three years old, I knew I wanted to work with animals somewhere. Wow. In fact, I told my mom, uh, she was just telling us the story that I said, uh, mom, when I grew up, I want to be a vegetarian and I want to work with animals. And she said, I think you mean veterinarian. <laughs> uh, 
we should we should clear that up and it's funny because i kind of kind of went the other way on the vegetarian thing but yeah <laughs> uh yeah i mean since i was too little to know the word i knew i wanted to work with animals and whether that was as a zookeeper or a game warden i mean those are kind of the options right that you're yeah. posed with when you're in college it's like you're either going to go towards the saving animals or the um the enforcement of peace and uh luckily for me i was able to find a way to to fill that niche and get into conservation the way I did. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's interesting. And and you know the deer camp, it's such a legendary part of whitetail hunting in the Upper Midwest, which I like to call the North, not the Upper Midwest. But that's a whole nother podcast. Um, right. Uh, I did not grow up deer hunting. We did not. Nobody in my family deer hunted. We did not have deer camp. Um, I'm 55. I think I was 47 when I shot my first deer and my one brother shot his first deer the year before that. My other brother lives out West and got into, you know, elk and mule deer hunting, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than us, but we didn't grow up with that. You know, um, all the old guys sitting around a wood burning stove, dealing cards, you know, chewing the fat, um, we're trying to kind of create that now. You and I are recording this on the eve of Whitetail Opener um, next yeah. week or ne- ne- this coming weekend. And we do it at our cabin and, you know, um, trying to make our own memories and bring some of the little kids along and stuff like that. But uh, that must have been an amazing part of growing up. Yeah, it's it's such a, I don't know, I underrated piece to like hunting culture. And from somebody from the outside looking in, you might think, why would you go and sit in a tree for six, seven, eight hours all day long, freeze your tail off uh, to maybe see something? And it's like, that's such a tiny piece of what hunting is to me. I mean, I start when I'm planning a Western trip or even whitetail hunting or duck hunting here in, in at home, I'm laying my gear out weeks ahead of time. And I pack it all up and put it in a bag and then I unpack it all and buy a new piece of gear and reshuffle and reorganize. And it's all part of this like preparation part of it. That's just building towards that weekend or building towards that morning in the tree. Uh, and you know, maybe it's placebo effect. Maybe it's like not going to matter if I just go and throw on a pair of jeans and flannel and, uh, or grandpa's old hat. And, you know, maybe, maybe the gear part is I'm probably over, overindulging on a lot of the gear stuff, but that's part of the fun. And then the other part is the getting to camp and, seeing the family or the friends that you only see during the season. Yeah. I know that there's friends that when we're, uh, you know, in the thick of things for policy or, uh, you know, doing family stuff, I've got a new young family. I, there's people I haven't, didn't get to see for six, nine, 12 months ahead of time. And then you get back to hunting season and boom, it's just like, like you never left. Yeah. You just pick right back where you left off. And will you be going this weekend? Oh yes. Tell me about yeah, it. When, we, when, uh, what, when will you leave? Who's going with you? Who's going to be there? <laughs> so, uh, it's been, it's been kind of a zoo of a month. Um, the backstory on that is that, uh, the Minnesota chapter of BHA piloted a program last year, uh, that we called CWD pint nights. So for anybody who is familiar with BHA, you're maybe familiar with our pint night model. Basically it's a happy hour, uh, type venue. You get together at a fun place, have a drink or two, and 
you know, share stories, swap tactics, share recipes with other like-minded hunters and anglers. Um, and so last year we started doing these CWD education focused pint nights. So a DNR biologist would join us at that pint night. They flip down a tailgate out in the parking lot. They drag out a deer carcass and they show people how to remove the lymph nodes from a deer. And then we, anybody who wants one, we get to give them a uh, test kit to test their own harvest and uh, then send those deer uh, lymph nodes in for sampling. And it went so well last year that the DNR contacted us and said that two counties that you held those events in gave the highest yield on returns for sample oh kits gosh. last year That's amazing. Uh, in, the, in the state. They said, how many can you do? And the Minnesota chapter said, challenge accepted. And so they decided to host five in four weeks. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> we, we had one, uh, we were coming up on the fourth. We've done Grand Rapids, Brainerd, the metro area, uh, and then just on just last night in Ely, um, did uh, the last one. There were 62 people that came out to that Ely one, which is crazy for it to be Ely on a Monday night, wow. not during the, the tourism season. was awesome. Great turnout. And um, then our final one is going to be in Rochester here at the end of the week. And then capping that off with uh, the, the Minnesota chapter is going to be hosting and helping to uh, host the Minnesota governor's deer opener. So we're going to uh, be down in Lanesboro for that. And there'll be a butchering seminar, kind of a wild game sampler, and then sort of an open pint night to come and, like I said, share stories and really kick off deer season. So I'm going down to Rochester on Thursday, coming back home, sleeping for a few hours, going back to Lanesboro on Friday, and then from Lanesboro, driving back up to uh, East Central Minnesota oh to go hunt gosh. on some old family, uh, a family property or a family friend's property that my dad and I have hunted since, uh, gosh, college. Yeah. Um, since actually my grandparents moved out of state and that was the hunting land that we grew up on. And then they moved out of state and we didn't have a spot to go. So hunted public in the meantime. And now we have another kind of family farm that and then, so it's probably just going to be my dad and I, but it's a tradition that that's awesome. I've actually had to miss uh, the last couple of years. Last year, there was a wedding that I was at and the year previous, I was out in Colorado. So I haven't gotten to do an opener for a couple of years. And so I booked it way ahead of time. Yeah. I said, I'm not missing opener this year, regardless of what else is happening. That is where I will be on the first weekend of November. Yeah. I, I got a phone call today from a buddy. I haven't heard from him in a long time. And he was inviting me to play poker on Friday night. There's like a kind of a little like hockey dad's poker table that I'm a part of in Edina that none oh, yeah. of all our kids are grown now. Like, but that's how we met was through youth hockey or whatever. And it, it happens maybe. I grew up playing hockey. So you're preaching the choir yeah, on it, that dad group. Yeah, I know exactly. exactly who that you is. know, <laughs> and uh, it maybe happens once a year and I would love to be there, but I'm like, no, dude. I mean, it's, it's deer opener and I'm not, I don't even love, I love bird hunting. I don't, I love waterfall hunting. I don't love deer hunting, but I love venison and I love being up there with my brothers and cousins and their husbands and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't miss it. Okay. So do you know your, do you know what deer stand you're going to be in? Like, have you, have you like, are you a kind of guy who you've like been up there cutting shooting lanes and no, stuff like I that. Haven't. I'm, <laughs> I'm too much of an avid generalist, uh, to put too much time. I mean, I give all the credit in the world to the folks who like dial in and, 
put in food plots and put out cameras and like really like focus hard on their deer hunting experience, whether that's on public or private, you know, great. But I'm too focused. If I'm like, I have a weekend, I can either duck hunt or set up deer stands. I'm going to go duck hunt. Uh, so it's like, yeah. ah, should I, should I try and do some prep? So, uh, I think my dad set up a couple last weekend and in addition to the ones like permanent stands that are kind of already out there. So it's, I'm thinking I'm going to be in one that I was in, or at least near it last year. I was, uh, I was sitting on the ground last year cause it was so stinking cold on the second weekend because I was mm. in Mexico for a wedding on opener. So second weekend, it was crazy cold and I didn't want to climb up in a tree. So I sat on the ground, hopefully in this little valley and protected myself from the wind a little bit more and huddled up against a tree and, you know, nothing, nothing. There's no, I'm like, there's no deer around. And, you know, kind of started to get the lulled into that false sense of security. And I hear that hard ground crunch of like a footstep, a footstep. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is close. There is something right behind me. And so I'm like trying to not move, but also trying to like get my gun ready. And then I hear this giant snort behind me and I turn and I turn, stood up just to see antlers in this white tail, just loafing away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you always got to be ready. you got to be ready. Like, what are the chances? And so, yeah, I, I blew it last year. So I'm, I'm going to try and be be a little bit more air assault this year. <laughs> you know, I had a similar, uh, I had my eye on a fawn that was, uh, way, I mean, 200 yards away, but I saw a fawn come in and kind of lie down last year. This is in the evening of, of the opening day. And then I saw a doe walk across and I'm like, Oh, that doe, you know, that'd be, a, I'll, I'll shoot that doe, but let's just see. They're not, they're, they're just settling in for the night. They're not going anywhere, you know, there. And then I hear the crunch, crunch behind me. I'm in a stand and it's freaking rookie mistake. Even though I've been doing this like seven years, I turned around and even though I'm, you know, 16 feet in the air, I make straight eye contact with a spike who just looks at me and runs. And of course, when he runs, the doe runs, and the fawn gets oh, up and runs, no. and that's it. I mean, the woods just cleared out because I'm, and I'm like, oh no, you're not supposed to look up, you oh. stupid deer. You're supposed to look. You don't. You don't know I'm up here. That's, that's a goal, big secret. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I so I haven't deer hunted except for this year, except for one weekend in Wisconsin. Uh, I went went over to Wisconsin with some friends and some partners of ours, and uh, all on public. And but we did this big deer camp, and uh, we canoed in. And dude, if you have an opportunity, it is awesome. Uh, so we, yeah. we canoed in to a spot and hmm. I think those deer, like they don't have anywhere they need to go, right? They've got the food, they've got the water, they are on relatively unpressured and not a lot of people are coming in and deer hunting on this island. And so I had, I mean, I sat for two evenings out there and had four deer each day. I mean, come to a point where it was like, wow. I, I had ranged these two trees and i'm like okay once he gets past this tree if something comes in i can take a shot and had a six point come in i mean nothing huge but he was a good deer and i would have shot him at that point and um yeah if he gets past this tree that's at 15 yards and then i can be clear to shoot well he turned right toward, right before the tree and came towards me i mean 
towards me. 15 yards, 12 yards, 8 yards, 6 yards, 6 feet, 3 feet. I mean, under my tree, man. And I couldn't, I mean, I'm frozen. Like, I can't move because if I draw back on my right. bow, he's going to he's gonna bowl. Like, and yeah. by the time he was under me and kind of turned his back a little bit, I basically had to, like, pull start my bow like I was, you know, starting a lawnmower or something. I mean, it was directly below me and of course he boogered out and you know heard me at when i drew back but like they were so unpressured that that, you know being in the air wasn't a fear for them and i think they were smelling party barges and anglers around them all the time and so sound and smell on an island was just all screwed up anyways uh and that wasn't a concern but no dude the island thing was was a pretty cool experience that sounds amazing um Yeah. And I, I mean, I see, you know, um, guys paddling out of the boundary waters with like antlers sticking out of the front of their canoe and think, Oh, that would be, I mean, that would, that would bring two of my great loves, the boundary waters and hunting together. I would love to go grouse hunting up there too. You know, I've watched, uh, sportsman put out that video. Uh, Mark um, Norquist, uh, the grouse uh, did one flush in the wild a couple years ago, I think. Yep, and then there's the one with uh, Dave Simonette mm-hmm. and Ryan Callahan yep. and Lucas Leaf that, that they did that one. So anyway, um, yeah, that, I'd love to hunt out of a canoe. That would be amazing. I mean, I I have duck hunted out of the out of a canoe, which I'm sure you've done, and that's like one of my favorite things too is sitting in the bow of a canoe and some guys paddling, and you just like every time you round a bend in the creek. You're like, it, it could, could be nothing be, yeah. <laughs> or there could be 12 mallards. So fun. Yeah. The, uh, the duck hunting out of a boat thing. I, I've really kind of focused and with that Missouri event that I was talking about, it really kind of drew me back into like this focus local, like feeling that I've had. Cause I get into this vortex of, well, I, I need to go West every year. I need to try and get an antelope hunt or I need to go on an elk hunt or I need to go to wherever North Dakota to go and hunt ducks. And I had to remind myself this year, like, dude, you live on the Mississippi river. This is like one of the major flyways in the country. And you can see that river from your house. And there's a ton of ducks. It's great deer hunting and Turkey hunting. You don't have to go so far to find these great refuges, these amazing sanctuary places for wildlife and to, you know, really, you know, feel, feel that kind of spiritual connection with the outdoors. Yeah. I'm guessing this weekend I was in South Dakota hunting pheasants, but I'm guessing with the, the, the winter weather that blew in, there were a lot of ducks moving down through the Mississippi flood. There was a lot of ducks. Yeah. I got to go out on Sunday and we probably saw 500 birds, uh, you know, that, and to me that was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And the guys that I had with had gone out on Saturday and they said, dude, this is nothing compared to yesterday. We saw probably 2,500 birds yesterday. Like it was just clouds. Uh, that was, yeah. Wow. Like I said, almost that. And like, how was the shooting? Uh, <laughs> mine or other people's. <laughs> I mean, did uh, they come into yeah, your decoys they, more than did you shoot they them? Did, did. Yeah, they, they came into decoys. It's kind of that first light uh, folly. Um, and so, no, and I was, I was kind of shocked. A lot of my hunting on especially public stuff has been very flock or, uh, uh, pass shooting. And so, you know, you're kind of getting lucky if something is kind of coming through and try and do as good of a hide as you can. 
And this area that I've been hunting is a new area for me. It's kind of a public private sort of interface um, where a local group of hunters uh, purchase the land, but you know, for a you know nominal membership fee, essentially, you've got access to 2,800 acres if you're from the area. Um, and so anybody wow. can do it uh, if you're from, from this area or live in this area. So it's really cool. And I mean, it's giant and it's right on the, right on the Mississippi. So really cool, like I said, interface. And even on, like, I mean, on the fishing side, I got to go fish for sturgeon a couple of weeks ago uh, on the St. Croix river that, you know, is the, that's divides Minnesota and Wisconsin. So we've got Wisconsin on one side, Minnesota on the other, and it's right outside the Metro man. Like, and I caught a 55 inch mm. sturgeon. We caught six or we got 11 sturgeon and two catfish in six hours. And it's like, this yeah. is right here. You've got this amazing opportunity that is so close uh, that, like I said, I'm guilty of it too, of like overlooking it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It, it. I was supposed to go on a, I was supposed to go down on the Mississippi with uh, John Motoviloff. Yeah. From, wisconsin pf but the the weather wasn't right and you know we're not going to do all that work for blue sky days and then he's like just bump it back a couple days and come on the weekend because it's going to be insane with this weather and i'm like yeah i already am booked to go to south dakota pheasant hunting so right. it's it's an abundance of riches you know i, know. I mean I, have, right? I haven't done yeah i haven't done nearly the duck hunting this year that i would like to do but but you can't do it all. You know, you can't do it all every year. And that's been my um my thing my my sin probably has been trying to jam so much in. You know, I went I I went on six pheasant trips to South Dakota last year. Wow. I mean, that's, that's maybe that's maybe a little <laughs> bit excessive. But I'm crazy about it and I have access to incredible private land and the guys I know, quite honestly, are older guys. It, this is not gonna last sure. forever. These farms are not going to be in our little realm of huntable private land forever. So I just want to like take advantage of it. But it we do have an abundance of riches. And I mean, I sing the praises of Minnesota all the time. Um, you, you know, growing up, um, I, I mean, we have talked about this in the past, you and me, and we did it on our on our trial run yeah. as well uh, podcast. But um you know, I like to have people on here who find the nexus between the outdoors life and their spirituality. So I wonder if, you know, growing up in East Central Minnesota, I think you grew, you know, I mean, not unlike me growing up in the suburbs here of, of the Twin Cities. I mean, it's kind of a traditional, like I grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know, lot surrounded by a lot of white people, went to church. Sure. It was like... It was how, you know, it was, it was like a kind of out of a sitcom, yeah. um, but not, you know, each of us has our own path and, and mine was not, ended up not being that conventional and took me into like a spirituality of, of the outdoors life and hunting. And I wonder for you as somebody who's devoted your whole life to conservation, how have you, or how is like the faith in which you were raised, um, kind of woven itself into this passion you have for conservation in the outdoors? Yeah, it's, I guess I grew up in a small town community, uh, Lutheran church upbringing. Uh, but for me, 
like it wasn't that you went to church because you had to, or, but you wanted to at that point, because that's what a good share of your friends were doing. And I mean, all of us were blonde haired, blue eyed Scandinavian kids. that <laughs> We we all could have looked like we were related um, because, uh, because we all sort of looked and talked and did the same things. And all of us played hockey together and uh, our parents were all friends and that's who they hung out with outside of church and outside of the hockey season. Uh, and then it gets into the other sports seasons, but it's all really kind of based around that community factor for me. And that I think translates big time to the hunting space, uh, is that, that community feel. And for me, I mean, I, I am strong in my faith and, uh, you know, like I said, that Christian upbringing, but, you know, going back to that deer camp, you know, when you weren't out hunting, there would be a big lunchtime meal and everybody would sit down and grandpa would lead us in prayer. And it was always the same, you know, kind of prayer of thanks for the day and thanks for bringing us together and make sure everybody's safe out there kind of basic deal. But like, you would have felt empty if we didn't have that piece. And then, you know, same thing happens on after the season and everybody gets back together and we have a butchering day and everybody is helping together with the processing of the meat and packaging and then we sit down for another big meal and, you know, recreate that same story for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. Um, you know, those big kind of traditional Christian holidays of like get together. Um, and so whether it was based around faith or not, I guess I'm not sure. But really, like that was the reason that we were getting together for that community. And it was that community building piece. Um, but I also, you know, to tie it to wildlife, I do see there being... Um, you know, spiritual elements to uh, like the Native American uh, way of thinking. And, you know, that that there's a spirituality in these different animals and the things that you can learn from trees and water and, you know, the, just the solace of being out there. And I mean, I know it gets said time and time again, but just the the solace and the respite you get from the world and just to be able to shut off and whether it's out over a glass lake with some fog and you're watching duck decoys float and bob there or hoping to hear something in the woods, uh, you know, stop and crack. That's not a squirrel. Uh, like that's, that's where I do feel, you know, the closest to God. And for me, I'm not as much, uh, looking for that, that community piece in the church. Uh, but for me, I have those conversations with hunting partners. I have them on a 12 hour road trip to Wyoming uh, when we're headed out to go yeah. elk hunt, that's when the conversations get deep or around a campfire after a day of hunting. Uh, that's when, you know, really the rubber meets the road on conversations and, you know, you walk away feeling very like fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I totally agree with that. Um, and there is as much as I love the duck hunting, uh, you know, in, in little sloughs and the pheasant hunting, there is something about going out west, and I've only hunted a little bit out west, one elk hunt and one turkey hunt, but I know you were out west uh, this fall, and maybe had, maybe maybe a guy named Eli I saw in the gym locker room told me you might have had a there shot was, at an elk. There was, there was some opportunity. I'll say that, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we got out to this spot that we were going to hunt, and it was sort of this public-private uh, interface. You know, we, we had access to the private, but our plan was to hunt 
use, I mean, a good share of the public as much as we could too. Um, knowing that it was going to be, we were going to try and hunt early before more pressure pushed elk around. And that's exactly what happened. We pulled into camp and there was elk bugling like within a hundred yards of camp on the first night. Oh. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be insane. Uh, and right. so with the hunting that we did on the public, the first couple of days combined with other public pressure, those elk moved, it seemed like off of the public onto the private that we were able to hunt. And so we had, you know, good opportunity for a couple of days on that private property. And then as we hunted that and pressured that private, the elk moved off onto other private that we didn't have access to. But yeah, I think it was probably on like day three, uh, we had decided to sort of circle downwind because when you're hunting out West, hunting with the thermals uh, is basically make or break. And so for anybody who's not familiar, thermals are the the mountain winds or winds created by the mountains with the rising and falling of the sun. So the sun's going to hit higher on the mountain earlier. It's going to draw, you know, get warmer up on top of that mountain earlier, draw those winds up out of the valleys. Uh, so the winds uh, are, are climbing, uh, every breezes and scents are all climbing up in the evenings. Uh, they're going to be warmer and they're going to drop back down. So you're kind of trying to play that, that we call them thermals, uh, more so than like a natural wind that you would think of when you're deer hunting, uh, or deer or duck hunting somewhere in, in a more flat area. And so we decided to circle low in this Valley and then kind of climb up. Uh, so the wind was in our face and we'd have been upwind of, of the deer or excuse me, of the elk. Um, and we were going to go and sit this water hole, uh, because we figured that was a good source for that. At some point they might come to come to, to congregate and wallow. Um, and before we even got to that, that water hole, we kind of got cut off and there was two cows that came through, uh, and I was with one other guy and he saw the cows first. And so we ducked in behind trees and he's like, cows, cows. Okay. Uh, and I just had a cow tag. He had an either sex tag. He was from Wyoming. And so he had, uh, you could shoot a bull or a cow. And so these two cows are coming through and we said, okay, as soon as they kind of get to this certain spot, we're going to try and cow call, stop them and try and get a shot. And so we're each behind a different tree. He's right in front of me. And I kind of took one last look off to my right. And as, uh, as we kind of got settled in, all I could say was big bull, big bull, big bull. And he, he kind of stopped and we stopped paying attention to these two cows. And it was like a scene out of a painting. You've got this like giant six by six bull coming down from this, uh, from this ledge with five other cows with him. And it was just like the oh most ridiculous picturesque, uh, you know, scene. And so then we waited for those cows and kind of got, you know, focused on this, on this bull. Um, and, uh, ended up not, not happening on the bull. So spoiler alert, uh, it didn't, didn't happen for that bull for the other guy, but, uh, while well, he was kind of reeling, cause he did take a shot, but he missed, uh, unfortunately we tried to stop that bull. Didn't stop right away. Tried to stop him again and he stopped and my buddy shot over him. And so he's like, you know, just shaking like a leaf and trying to, you know, collect his bearings. And as yeah, we're yeah. sort of reeling and replaying that there's two more cows coming through. So I'm like, okay, you're going to survive. We'll come back and deal with your situation later. I'm going to go try and make a play on these cows. So very much the same. I kind of leapfrogged him and I go to make a move on these cows. And I think, okay, same thing as they kind of come through, here's the spot where I'm going to 
try and thread an arrow to shoot an arrow. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, track them with my bow. Here's the shot that I have. I'm going to be right on this spot. And when they come through it, that's when I'm going to try and stop her. And it was, you know, textbook. It worked out exactly like I thought it was going to. She stopped where I wanted to. And the last thing I got to remember before taking a shot was, you know, leveling the bubble on my bow and my peep sight just throbbing because my eyes were like my heartbeat through my eyes. And it was like, no, like balance your peep. They've got to be lined up. And so I took the shot and I hear this smack and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's the same smack sound that his made when he missed. I hit branches, I hit a tree, something, I got screwed up. And um, so we, you know, kind of calmed ourselves down and replayed the situation. You're trying to like CSI it back together. Like I was here, the elk was here. This is where an arrow should be. And I found my arrow and, you know, thinking full on that this was going to be just buried in the dirt and I'd go pull it out and we'd walk away. Well, I go and pull up my arrow and I hold it up to my buddy and it's broken off right at the broadhead and it's got about three inches of blood on it. And Hmm. under my arrow is the broadhead. So it broke off, you know, right away. And all we could figure is that it hit shoulder blade and which is mm-hmm. on an elk, mm-hmm. you know, super thick and solid, yeah. just enough meat penetration to have stuck a hole and popped right back out. And, wow. uh, so we tracked blood right away for about 50 yards and then we were like, okay, calm down. Like we don't want to push her if she's going to go and lay down, like let's let this situation yeah. settle. So let it settle. Decided to go back to camp, grab a bigger backpack in case we were going to have to haul out meat, grabbed a couple other guys to come and help us blood trail. And before we left camp, one of the other hunters came up and said, hey, did one of you guys shoot something? Uh, I said, well, yeah, we, we shot. And uh, he's like, we kind of pieced it back together. And he had found and picked up her blood trail just accidentally. Um, wow. And so he's like, look, I tracked it. It was down to pin drops. Uh, and then, you know, disappeared and he had a trail camera out. So we watched, uh, we went back, found that trail camera and it was the same group. So the group that I had seen wasn't just two cows. It was three cows and a spike. And that same group had walked from where I was when it shot at 7:40. walked past his trail camera at 7:45, And then he got on that blood trail at probably 8:30. So we know that that kind of line, and it was, you know, from start to finish about 700 yards. And we tracked back through and you know, made sure that it was the yeah. same blood trail. Um, and so I was just, you know, in knots, making, you know, feeling bad that there's something yeah. wounded. Yeah. And like, you know, they think about that too. Like if you hunt long enough, there will be wounding animals. Like it's just it's bound to happen. Yeah. You can't have a perfect shot every time. And that's just sort of the reality that we have to, you know, face with life and death and taking a life of an animal. Um, and you do as well as you can. And, you know, next time I tell people like back to the hockey reference, like I hit the pipe essentially you yeah. know, two inches the other way yeah. and it would have missed completely two inches the other way and you know, two inches to the right. And I'd have had a dead elk. Uh, so I, and in the most, uh, real sense of the term, I hit the pipe. Uh, so, Gosh. uh, we, yeah, but the good news is we did end up seeing that elk later and yeah, I mean, it was a pinhole but she was fine. She yeah. was walking around um, yeah. and she was, she was fine. She probably might be a little bit sore. And how many, and how many inches back from that shoulder blade would that arrow have had to go to, you know, go uh, probably, into her, probably into her another 
two inches. I mean, that's, and from how many yards did you shoot? I was about 35, 35. Uphill. So you think two, two inches at 35 yards is the difference between right. killing that. Oh I my know. gosh, man. <laughs> Tell me about it. It was a long I mean, that's, drive. Home. That's what's amazing. That that's, what's incredible about hunting, right. frankly, is, is that, I mean, there's, there's, um, uh, in my, in my book, I quote a dear friend of mine who says that, uh, hunting is a combination of bringing all of your skill to play and the stars must be aligned. I mean, he doesn't use the word luck, but you know, you know, in hunting, there's just like, you can have the greatest duck decoy spread on the river and the ducks for whatever reason, fly another 500 yards down the river and land in some other guy's spread. Who's, just throwing a couple out or and he's his dog you can see him you know yeah, whatever yeah. It, there's there's skill and, and luck and both of them are at play every time you go out there which is i think one of the amazing things about hunting is you just don't know how it's going to turn out it's not predictable right. and the longer i do it the more i think that like the skill piece is just having all the parts in play that you can control enough so that yeah. when luck is on your side it can be successful uh, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, like you're still rolling the dice. That's what makes it a pursuit that, you know, it's, it, there's a little bit of a gamble factor to it, right? Like absolutely, if we were yeah. going to go out and be successful every time we knew we were going to go, that takes some of the fun out of it. I mean, personally, yeah. I don't yeah. use trail cameras and nothing against the people who do, like I said, good for the people who are willing to focus that much time into patterning deer locally and knowing their property that well. But I kind of like the mystery of not knowing what's out there and whether that's ducks or deer or turkeys or elk, uh, that's to me, the wildness factor of it. Uh, and what makes it feel like, like I've sort of, you know, tricked nature or whatever, (laughs) like that it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm part of this ecosystem more than like, uh, I don't know, maintaining it or trying to somehow like bend it to my will. I'm just like, I'm stepping right. into your world. Let's see how I do. Um, yeah, I, I, you're singing from the same song sheet as me. I, I, that, that's how I feel about it too. More and more as more and more as I get older. And frankly, I mean, this may be a bit like cyn- cynical of me, but I feel more and more comfortable probably in that ecosystem than I do in like the, artificial ecosystem of humankind, but that's for another podcast. (laughs) Um, before, before we wrap up, can you tell me about rendezvous and why people should make plans to come to the twin cities in April to go to BHA rendezvous? Yeah. And that's one of the, uh, I guess, silver linings of us re-recording this is that the first time we weren't sure if we could talk right. about it or not yet. So yeah, we now, was embargoed now, right, at the, now at the we time. We don't have to be secretive <laughs> about it. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so backcountry hunters and anglers, I call it, you know, for a relatable term, like our annual convention, essentially, like that's our annual gathering of members from all over the country to get together. And up until recently, up until now, it's always been held in the West. It's been in Boise, Idaho, or Missoula, Montana, or Spokane, Washington, or Denver, Colorado, because BHA was originally based out of the West, and that's where the core of our membership was. And over the years, more and more, we've heard more members say, man, we'd really like to get this thing 
other parts of the country because there are such cool public lands and such great recreational opportunities in other parts of the country. Um, and frankly, uh, Montana, Missoula, Montana fly, sucks to fly into. So, um, I mean, there's one flight a day. It's an expensive flight. Yeah. There's not as many hotel yeah. options. So we said, okay, where are some great recreational opportunities? Where is a strong chapter that can help support, you know, from the ground if we're going to travel to do this? And so a couple of years ago, Minnesota put in a bid uh, for hosting rendezvous and was selected. So, uh, yeah, April 18th through the 20th of 2024, the BHA rendezvous is coming to uh, the state fairgrounds, uh, Minnesota State Fairgrounds. So super excited about a large venue that can hold not only a ton of vendors, a ton of seminars, um, but a lot of people can can hopefully show up. And it's close to an airport and there's lots of lodging around. And it's also during turkey season. So people can yeah. come from out of state. You can go into your local fleet farm and buy a, t buy a turkey tag or fish the river and keep fish uh, on those border waters. And so there's tons of opportunities yep. that people can come here and experience at that time for outdoor opportunities. And also, like I said, get together with some of the, the most hunting, fishing, you know, badasses. Uh, and conservation yeah. advocates that you're ever going to meet. And the really cool part about that's really kind of kept me the diehard BHA or that I have been for so long is that it's not species specific, that I can walk into a room and I'm not an avid uh, pheasant hunter or fly fisherman. But if I walk into a room and say, hey, I'd really like to try this thing, you're going to get a yep. handful of people who raise their hand and say, yep, tag along. I'll show you what I'm what I do. Um, and yeah. you're going to be able to learn a whole lot of new experiences and I've been able to hunt a number of different states just on reaching out to the chapter members from that state and saying, look, I don't know how to elk hunt. I don't know how to snow goose hunt. Um, can I be a fly on your wall? And those people have been gracious enough to take me under their wing and help build that community that much further. Uh, and you know, I've gotten some really cool friends and really cool experiences out of being able to, to be part of this group. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really excited yeah. to kind of bring bring that event to Minnesota. And we have, you know, everything from storytelling to a brew fest to a wild game cook off uh, that our our Minnesota chapter has won uh, here in the last couple of years that they're very proud of. Yep. Um, and so yep. we're we're really, really excited to kind of bring it to Minnesota show and not only to Minnesota, but first time this far east. I mean, it's only by a mile, yeah. but we'll take it. It's the first time that it's ever coming east of the Mississippi. So uh, hopefully we can draw that uh, you know crowd from the east that otherwise wasn't going to fly to Missoula or Boise, but they're going to go to coming from Idaho or excuse me, coming from Ohio or coming from Pennsylvania or coming from Florida. This is a this is an easy one flight. Come up and join For sure. us. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm, I'm really excited to be at my first rendezvous. In fact, I've already invited a couple different guys that I'd like to, to come to rendezvous to be like, if you come a few days earlier, I'll take you turkey hunting up at our family land, you know? So, oh, that might be the hook nice. it I'm, takes I'm, to get a few. I'm hoping that that's a, that's a good draw. I know I've spoken to our, our uh, Illinois chapter and they're like, well, what's there to do in Minnesota that time of year? Isn't it too cold? And I was like, listen, we got turkey season open and you can buy a tag for a hundred bucks as a non-resident. And they're like talking about doing like an Illinois BHA turkey camp in Minnesota. I was like, that's what it's oh, all about, cool. man. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Well, thanks, man. I, I I'm, I'm looking forward to rendezvous and you know, our paths, our paths cross regularly. And I didn't go to the pie night last week because Wednesday night is I go to my wife's yoga class. She teaches yoga on well, Wednesday night. Otherwise I would have been there. <laughs> I would have been there learning how to cut out my deer's lymph nodes, but I actually, I'm in a CWD management zone. So I just drive it okay. over to Cuyuna, yeah, yeah. the mountain bike place. And they, they, they're right there with the razor blades. They do it for me, yeah. but, um, I don't blame you. Nope. That's, yeah, you guys got our things. Yeah. You guys are doing great, great stuff. And, um, I'm a, I'm a proud, proud supporter of BHA. Happy to be a member. So thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate thanks, man. it. Glad we were able to make it work and Hey, good luck this season. Good luck this weekend. You too. You too. Shoot straight. Shoot straight.